1: Hey everyone, Jeremy Scheinwald here with another episode of Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Our podcast is produced by Venture for America, a fellowship program for enterprising recent college graduates who launch their careers as entrepreneurs and thus help revitalize American cities. After five weeks of training, VFA fellows spend two years in the trenches of a startup in an emerging U.S. city. Where they learn how to contribute to high growth businesses. Afterwards, VFA provides the mentorship, network, and resources fellows need to become entrepreneurs. VFA has some notable successes. I'm excited about one Mike Wilner, who launched Compass, which creates easy to build professional websites without the headaches. To learn more about Venture for America and to see more fellow success stories or to support our work, you can visit ventureforamerica.org. I've been involved with VFA. Uh, since even before its inception, I actually worked across the uh, across the hall uh, in the same office as uh, VFA founder Andrew Yang, and when he told me about it. I jumped on board immediately. I even jumped in his arms. Andrew's a big big hugger, so we, we, had, we hugged it out. Uh, and, uh, and I wish that VFA had been around when I graduated. Instead, I launched my own business, uh, the Mission Driven Group. Check out our four brands at missiondrivengroup.com. And please remember to subscribe and to like our show on iTunes. If you've been listening to the show for a while, take five minutes, like it. It'll help us uh, sustain our audience. You can follow me personally, at Jeremy Scheinwald, on uh, Twitter. I'm a low-volume tweeter. Maybe that's a good thing for you. Today, our guest is Sarah Kaus, who decommoditized the water bottle, making it a high-end accessory. Of all things, Sarah and I interned together at J.P. Morgan. I haven't seen her in 14 years. At the time, Sarah was an intern by way of Harvard Business School, that is at J.P. Morgan. When she graduated, she worked as a producer at Tapestry Networks and then in real estate private equity before launching Swell. As you'll hear, Swell became a phenomena. It was quickly made uh, one of it wasn't made one of Oprah's favorite things. It was made on Oprah's like summer hot list, I think, Um, and uh, and it's been experiencing year over year growth of 400 percent. She started with with an order of three thousand. She now sells five million um, bottles each year in 35 countries and growing. Uh, She has a partnership with Starbucks. She's been featured in uh, as Fortune's for, what, one of Fortune's 40 under 40, uh, she's Department of State Global Mentor and so much more. Um, we're so thrilled to have Sarah Kaus on the show today. But before we begin, I should say, I should ask you, do you need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, you can get your site live today. It's simple to customize. If you don't know how to code, not a problem. There's no coding needed. Most entrepreneurs will tell you that developing a good web presence is essential to getting your business off the ground and acquiring new customers. If you have a new idea or just need to upgrade your upgrade your website, check out Wix.com. You can go to Wix.com, that's W-I-X.com, and sign up for an entirely free account today. No credit card required. Go to W-I-X.com today. And now, here's my interview with Sarah Kaus.
2: Welcome to Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast
1: building things can be really hard, and entrepreneurship is often portrayed in the media as the sexy or even worse, easy career path. Through this series, we plan to pull back the curtain and tell the gritty stories of entrepreneurship. We're striving to create a relaxed environment where entrepreneurs feel free to tell their stories.
2: This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast.
1: Sarah, thanks for uh, stopping by. Thanks for having me. Sure. This is quite the coincidence. I haven't seen you in quite some time. You look identical um, and uh, I was as I was doing my research. I was like, I know this person from somewhere I know this person and finally it clicked we interned together at J.B. Morgan Small world. A long that, was, time ago. that was like the summer of, of Enron and WorldCom and Martha Stewart and every other disaster and I think my group at JP Morgan made it clear to me on day one. They're like, "Yeah, have a good time. We're not hiring anyone, so you know you're not going to get hired this summer. So good luck." So it was a tough summer.
2: It was a rough summer. But we bonded. <laughs> we got through it.
1: And they say, like they say, a lot of entrepreneurship comes during down periods because people don't see another big payday coming. So maybe, maybe that's where we, we both got, got the uh, realized that we'd be entrepreneurs one day.
2: We owe it all to that summer.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, actually, that, that does lead me to 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 what I think is a good first question, which is, um, you know, you did you you started your career as an entrepreneur fairly deep into your career. You know, you done these stints in audit and did some real some time in real estate, and um, I'm curious if you like had these ideas gnawing at you all this time. You're like, yeah, maybe I'll do this, maybe I'll do that, and like ideas didn't pass the, the, the cut, um, didn't make the cut, uh, or you know whether it was just like, boom, swell, this is it, I know, it, it's love at it first sight, I gotta do
2: this. I think it's a bit of both. I, I always wanted to do something entrepreneurial, but I never had the idea, I never had something I was so passionate or felt so strongly about. But I was pretty lucky when I was um, actually started my career at, at Ernst & Young, which is now EY, um, I was lucky enough to work with a lot of entrepreneurs, so I think I got the bug early, but I never had the idea. So um, yeah, I think it was a little bit of both.
1: And going back to audit, like I imagine you—you know—you said you worked with a lot of entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. and you're getting pretty deep into people's numbers and seeing the good and the bad and stuff like that. Like, was that—is that? Do you still have the heart of an auditor when you're looking at your own own company today? Is were there a lot of lessons?
2: I do. I drive my controller nuts. Um, (laughs) You you can't never really take the auditor out of out of the person. Um, But no, it was it was really great for me because I I sort of learned how businesses were built and you know how, um, you know how sort of the, the numbers really roll up to make the whole Business, um, but audit—I think it's sort of a bad rap. I mean, you you really do get to sort of see a lot of different businesses and industries, and um, it's not the most creative career, but it is um, interesting. Uh, just because you get to see so many different things, but I, I still probably do have the heart of an auditor, unfortunately. Yeah, was, but
1: which, which also might just be like the heart of a real operator, like someone who's really thinking holistically about, about the business. So that's a, that's a pro, a pro. Yeah, I'd
2: like to think so.
1: Yeah, I'm giving you the pro audit. Uh, Thanks. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm the last person who could be an auditor, but why not? <laughs> why not defend it for you? So you went to HBS, and uh, you know you've got a ton of amazing publicity out there for yourself and for Swell. Um, you told Entrepreneur Magazine, "Quote: When I left Harvard." I don't know that I would have had the confidence to start my own business in the way that I did now. I think I would have been more apologetic about it. I think the common view—we've had a whole bunch of HBS entrepreneurs on the show, actually, um, of HBS that develops these like bold, risk-taking, you know, leaders. You know, Michael Bloomberg, who walked away from you know millions to start uh, to, at Solomon to start his own business. Was, you know, one of the wealthiest people in the world this is just an example. Like, what was what was missing for you? What, what did you feel like you? Why, why didn't you feel more bold when you when you finished up at HBS?
2: You know, I think part of it is because you know HBS really relies on the case study method. So I think over the two years I was there, we read 600 cases, and not all of them are wild success stories. Um, I think I was humbled by the cases of the stories of the entrepreneurs that things maybe weren't a wild success. So I think I was cautious in um, believing that I had all of the answers and all of the ideas straight out of business school. Um, I also realized that um, you know, I graduated with a significant amount of debt and um, with some really amazing other students and friends in my class, and I, I didn't want to um, you know, start out the gate doing something entrepreneurial that maybe I didn't feel ready for or maybe it wasn't going to be successful, um, not because my friends would judge me, but maybe I would judge myself if, if I didn't get it right the first time.
1: Well, the student debt is actually a—I mean, that's a, that's a that's a real uh, encumbrance that uh, that prevents people from from taking that leap. So I, I certainly understand mm-hmm. that. So, so what changed in the seven years between HBS and Swell? Like, what made you believe that you're ready, kind of without those apologies?
2: Um, I think I just grew up. I think I just it was a late bloomer. It took took me some time. Um, you know, I did commercial real estate for for a number of years. I did consulting for a few years. Um, I had the opportunity to really be entrepreneurial in a different setting. So I got to, um, you know, set up small businesses every time I did a different real estate project. I got to think about, um, you know, building a team, building p and L, figuring out what I knew and I didn't know. You know, how to Hire consultants. Um, you know how to get an office. How to f- figure things out. I was doing a lot of international projects, um, so I think I really grew up as a business person and as a businesswoman. Um, in those jobs, and I think I really found my my voice. I, I just needed a little bit more time, I think, and experience before I felt ready to say, okay, now is the time for me to start my business. And quite frankly, I didn't have the idea coming out of business school either. So I think I just sort of needed the universe to kind of send me a sign.
1: Actually, that's a good, that's, that's a good leaping off point. Give me tell me the 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 uh, the founding myth or actual story. You know, starting swell. Uh, you know, and, and just just give us the foundation that gave you the gave you the Aha moment.
2: Sure. So I went to Boulder, University of Colorado at Boulder for undergrad.
1: I actually have a dog named Boulder because my wife went to Boulder. Oh, that's great. I
2: love yeah. that dog.
0: Yeah,
2: <laughs> so cute. <laughs> um, yeah. So I went to Boulder for undergrad. And I, I can't say I was a tree hugger, but I was always a bit of an environmentalist, um, and so I never used the plastic bottles everywhere I went. My my whole you know college career, all the way through you know being an auditor business school, working in real estate, I always carried a water bottle everywhere I went. Um, but it was never something that was. Uh, fashionable. It never really fit my lifestyle. It, I, I would use it and then put it back away, and I wouldn't leave it out on the table like I have in front of me now. I mean, it was always just sort of something that I hid. Um, so I, I had sort of an idea about creating a fashionable water bottle, but thinking about myself as the consumer. Um, and then I, I happened to go hiking um, in Arizona with my mom. Uh, my mom had uh, just gotten over uh, breast cancer, and she was she was incredibly reflective about her life and she asked me these questions about you know what would you do if you could do something else you know maybe if, if you didn't do a corporate career if you were going to start your own business like you've s- spoken about before in the past what would you do and I immediately said I would I would create this fashionable water bottle company um so I, I sort of think the idea was always in the back of my mind but I needed to really be poised the question head on to say this is definitively what I'd like to, to do with my career
1: and you mentioned your mom like your parents were small business people did that did that make you more or less inclined to take to take a risk
2: oh that's a good question probably less <laughs> less inclined I know I know how hard my parents worked um, but by, I think my parents were very successful as small business people I mean they also they achieved incredible balance um they were always home for dinner and we took vacations every year and um they didn't get consumed by their business um but at the same time um I saw how how difficult it was on sort of a daily basis for them um but you know I think my parents being uh, entrepreneurs themselves I think I was more open to taking the plunge into starting swell because I knew they wouldn't judge me you know, I think, you know, leaving a job with a great title and, you know, a beautiful business card and a benefits package, I think sometimes parents can be a little concerned. Um, So I think my parents were more flexible with me because they had also taken that plunge in their lives.
1: Yeah, I think, I I mean, I couldn't agree more. Like I always say that the toughest part for me in starting my own business was getting over telling my parents. uh, And they, you know, I was a could have been a banker or whatever it was and I mean I was and that
2: the... makes him feel comfortable you yeah. know like oh I'm not worried about him because he does this thing I understand
1: yeah and yeah. it's like it's secure and we worked hard to get him this you know make sure he could get this education and and now it's like could be out the window will he ever get back on track if this thing falls apart so I think that that's something that like a lot of people think that, that the that money is the biggest obstacle and sometimes it can be but I think that Entrepreneurs need a lot of support. Even though I think people think of us all as like gunslingers who are like you know it's me against the world. But I think that support network is crucial.
2: Yeah, I finally got comfortable telling people I was starting a water bottle company, and I went to an HBS wedding, and one of my really good friends heard me introducing myself to a stranger. Oh, I'm Sarah. I'm starting this water bottle company, and she jumped in the conversation and said, "But she used to have a really important job. Aww. She felt the need. She felt the need to tell a stranger that I was a I was a." Good person because I used to be a vice president somewhere, and it just—it's funny that you don't always have that support exactly when you need it.
1: Right. She was well meaning and well meaning and saying (laughs) that. She has a really big heart. She's a good
2: friend, but she just didn't want another person to think I was this flaky person. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think I'm gonna ask questions around that because I I know more. I know some people who who had that experience as well, and even even me, I felt a little apologetic for a while. I remember one of my one of my when I started my business, I think one of my parents' friends kind of like they kept saying to me like, "Are you still doing that thing?" Yeah. I was like. Yeah, yeah or, like or I've got six employees at the yeah. time or whatever it was. It's like, yeah, you're doing it full time. Yeah, yeah it's like, you know, now I've got like 50 people on staff and, and I'm like, I, you know, the the middle child in me wants to call me like, ah, you know, I, I, I'm OK. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's that's interesting. Um, the role that ego played, and then I mean, similarly, you, you talked about how your grandfather used to joke around. I read this year, your, your grandfather used to joke around, joke around that, that like, why don't you sell the water in the bottles? He never
2: understood, yeah. and God bless him. I wish he was still alive because would. I wish I could show him. You know, one of our you know. The, Article in Fortune magazine, or you know, something to say, look, we made it. Um, but he, he always just thought if you put water in the bottle, that people would buy them. He just never really got the whole reusable bottle thing. But, but funny enough, um, my my uh, my grandmother now has purchased one because everyone in our bridge club has a swell bottle. So she went That's to the store awesome. and bought one. And I thought, you know, you you have a cupboard of them at home, but um, it's, it's very sweet. So I think I think he'd get it now. But at the time, he just it went right over his head
1: that is very sweet um, so so like i think get me tell me i'm getting this wrong but you kind of started with a little how long did it take you between between having this epiphany and actually you know being in business like a sourcing the product selling it online
2: i would say it took probably 6 6 to 9 months so we had you know first proto samples in about 6 months and then another 3 months or so you know setting up the website and and actually shipping out the product
1: and did you have like 1 foot in the business? Or was it was it two feet in the business from the start? It
2: was two feet from the start. I I tend to throw myself into things 100% and I realized that I couldn't be doing that at my corporate job and then also give what I needed to to swell. So I, I thought I would just take six months off and start this business and see if it was successful or not, and then either go back to real estate or stay with Swell. But you know, six months in, I still hadn't sold anything, so I really needed to commit mm-hmm. to staying a little longer. Yeah.
1: <laughs> did, so, I mean, did you have like, a, did you ask for a leave, or you just said like, look, I'm, I'm pulling the cord, I'm out of here? No, I,
2: I left. I mean, yeah. I was still sort of looking at you know opportunities on the side, not really interviewing, but just sort of talking to people. Um, and it was a bit challenging because I was actually offered a job, um, during that time, and it was being a managing director of a new real estate company, and um. I wound up. Oh, I accepted the job, and then two days later, I said, "You know, I can't. I have this thing that I'm doing on the side." And um, I think because of that opportunity, and I had turned it down, it really pushed me to say, "Okay, swell, really needs to be something important because I just turned down something pretty awesome." Right. So, but um, but I I just know myself. I couldn't. I couldn't possibly do two jobs at the same time.
1: So when you were doing this, like just you know, just just you, sole founder. Mm -hmm. um, You know, you quit, quit your real estate job, sole founder. Tell me about the accountability. Like, were you were, did you did you say to yourself like I need to be? A, did you have a whole bunch of milestones? You know, for the next six months, I need to have a mm-hmm. website here. I need to have sales going by then, mm-hmm. or was it just like wake up every day and just do it.
2: Really, both. I mean, I, I did set milestones. I did write some goals. And interestingly enough, like almost everything I put down and you know what I wanted to accomplish that first year, we've done. I mean, a lot of it took a lot longer than a year. Um, you know, I said it'd be I wanted to do the bottles for the TED conference and for Fashion Week and be the only bottle in Bloomingdale's, and we've done all those things. For,
1: this is what you. This was in your initial, in my set r- initial of goals, like, I wrote
2: my three-page business plan. I'm like, we are going to be this, this, this. And of course, a lot of that took a lot longer than I had ever anticipated, and it was more challenging. Um, but I never said. Um, you, you know, I ordered three thousand bottles the first year. You know, last year we sold five million bottles. But three thousand bottles because that was the factory minimum, and I—that's how many would fit in my apartment. And I put them under my kitchen table, and I hid them with a you know a beautiful tablecloth, so I could still have people over, and it didn't look like inventory. So I, yes, I had a goal of selling those three thousand bottles, so I could order more. But I didn't make myself crazy in saying you know I need to be a millionaire this year or something like that. I just right. um, it because I didn't. Um, I didn't raise money. I didn't have someone sort of breathing down my neck that I had to hit certain milestones, but in my own mind I thought if this isn't successful then I really should be doing something else with my time.
1: I hope everyone who was listening just heard me go breathless on that one where you said it went, went from 3,000 to 5 million. I went like Whoa, Or something like that. I mean, that, that is incredible. Um, I don't know what to say. So you okay. so, so you and, and so you 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 started with you started as a bootstrapper and you had Maybe you're still a bootstrapper. Um, you are still a bootstrapper from from the nod of your head yeah. that people can't can't see. Yeah. Um, so you start with like thirty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Is that what did the thirty thousand dollars get you?
2: So inventory. You know, I basically had to set up um, a factory and molds and figuring out the manufacturing line um, and buy the first inventory. But I also had to um, set up a website. Uh, so I worked with sort of a, a branding agency that helped me set up the website. Um, a you know, box, box of business cards, <laughs> you know, some press kits, um, I was pretty pretty scrappy, and I didn't hire anyone um, for the first couple of years, so I didn't have to you know pay myself a salary, so um, I really only invested in what I had to.
1: So you didn't say you didn't hire anyone for the first couple of years, it was just you, mm-hmm. the site, manufacturing outsourced, mm-hmm. and... Till until like how many I don't know if you can share this but I mean how many how many bottles are you selling when you finally when you finally hire your first person?
2: Um, oh, that's a good question. So I hired my first person I think two years two years in and uh, she's still with us today. She's our director of marketing partnerships and uh, public relations. She really wore a lot of hats. But she it was her first job right out of college. So she's really grown with the business and we've grown with her. Um, and now we're. We're up to maybe 45 employees in New York.
0: Right.
2: Um, but, you know, in those early days, um, the type of stores that we were in, it was it was manageable to, for me to do it myself. So right. the first year I went to 17 trade shows, you know, stood in a booth, talked about the product. Um, it was pretty much staying with, you know, business school friends on their couches. Um, you know, come back home at night and then enter all the orders, um, charge the credit cards. I was doing... Um, Customer service for the ecom, for the .dot com. So, um, and then you know, get up the next morning and go to the next trade show. So the first year was it was manageable because the types of stores we were in were just sort of boutiques, you know, specialty one off mom and pop stores. It wasn't it it wasn't as challenging as you know working with big box stores.
1: I think you've, you have yeah. a lot of accolades in your career, but I'm going to give you like, I think you're the scrappiest entrepreneur we've had, we've had on the show. That's amazing. Like, you were sleeping, because I mean, so much of the show is dedicated to like debunking the myths of entrepreneurship, and here you are, you know, a couple years in or whatever, you know, a year and a half in, or whatever it was, your, your product has become a success, and you're still like sleeping on people's couches, doing all the, you know, customer service yeah. yourself, sales one to one. I mean, it's, it's, that's amazing. It's, was there any, was, is there a story of deprivation here? Like, I'm always curious about the things that people, Like when I started my my business, I mean, it was a different world, like it wasn't a smartphone world, but I actually cut off my cell phone um, because I was like, I'm gonna have my office phone, and I'll be there yeah. all the time. I don't need the extra expense of a cell phone, and mm-hmm. I like reduced my personal rent. And like I was the same thing as you. I, I was a bootstrapper, mm-hmm. and I kind of it's like every single personal expense I can I can reduce mm-hmm. is you know is more money that I can leave in the business and do mm-hmm. fun things and interesting things with. So I'm curious if you had any like what some of the what some of the personal sacrifices you made were. Well, I mean, aside from you know putting your own money in the company, New York apartments
2: aren't huge, so I think the biggest. Uh, uh, sacrifice was probably just space you know until mm. until I had that first employee uh, we didn't I didn't have an office so it was a lot of you know sort of giving up space more than anything else I'm, I'm not really a big spender or shopper but you know doing a consumer products company that's inventory based is um, you know we were cash flow positive from the beginning um, and you know we do have healthy margins and you know our, our customers did buy and, and appreciate the product so I was lucky there but I always had to continue to invest in inventory as we grew and you know Buying inventory from China and storing it, selling it, and then collecting on it. There's always a bit of a, a cycle there, right. especially in, in, in as we grow really fast. You had to keep buying more and more inventory to finance the growth. So there's always been some deprivation, you know, the, the, the deprivation because there's never been a ton of capital in the business, which means there was never really enough left over to pay myself a salary mm-hmm. over the first few years. So.
1: I mean, I think you just answered this, but like the thirty thousand dollars is all you need. You never like dipped into credit cards or went beyond that. It was you were cash flow positive from day one. That's true. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, and so, you know, we, we've talked about audit before, from from like a helping your business perspective, but also, like you know, not a lot about audit. We sort of joked about the like, not sort of thought of as being that entrepreneurial, creative, but like. You know, then there's design, which is kind of a diametrically opposed skill. How do you design the first water bottle? I mean, was it just, was it your own design? Was it, was it, did you bring on a bunch of uh, industrial designers?
2: Uh, so I had a bunch of friends from business school, and we did the crazy summer Hamptons house share, where you rent a house, uh, you know, two people sign the lease, and really 50 people stay there over the course of the summer, and you have an Excel spreadsheet that says what weekends people can come out, and so I had a really good group of friends that were working in fashion and marketing and merchandising, banking, um and we got together every weekend and you know every other weekend sometimes and I I brought out my designs and my first designs for swell were in PowerPoint because I didn't have any skills of you know how to use any of these um, 3D uh, printing program. So um, I we, we drew the first bottles and then said, you know, what does this look like to you? So my focus group was really my friends. Um, and then from there, I started working with a few different factories and started getting proto samples. And then I would bring them out and show my friends and say, would you use this? How would you use this? Um, could you take it on a bike ride? Could you take it golfing? Why don't you take this to the office? So I, it was really um, non-traditional, but that's sort of the friend group that I had and the budget that I had at the time. Um, but it, it really just needed to feel like um, hip New Yorkers would like it to use the product, and then I thought other people would embrace it as well.
1: Was there Were there a bunch of radically different designs, and finally you were like, ah, oh, that's the one. I can see it.
2: Um, I, I think we got a little too fancy in the beginning. I mean, the Swell bottle is, is really elegant because it doesn't have any... Um, Bells and whistles. It doesn't have any. It doesn't have a carabiner. It doesn't have a hook. It doesn't have a filter. It just. It's just a bottle. And so we let go a lot of the. Um, you know, when when you ask for opinions, people will say, "Oh, I would only use this if it had a blah blah blah." So I added a lot in based upon the, the initial feedback of my friends. Um, but really, what felt right to me was to do something that was very um, like classic and functional. I, I had the idea in my head that I really wanted to be something that would be featured and sold in the MoMA store, and we are now. Um, uh, w- funny enough, they actually spelled my name wrong the first time I went to go see the swell in the, the, the MoMA store, but it's it's corrected now. But I wanted to be that elegant, classic design, and we I, with that vision, I knew that we couldn't have lots of bells and whistles. So I mean, some of the early designs weren't as elegant as where we wound up,
1: and. You know, in terms of uh, you finally you finally have this design mm-hmm. and you you know you're manufacturing it in China um, how does one find a yeah, you know, I'm sure there are many, many factories where they could make this for you. But how do you find the right one? How do you feel comfortable with one?
2: I went there a lot. Um, you know, I I had this goal of creating a water bottle company because I wanted to get plastic out of the environment. And um, you know, I learned about the water crisis early on, so I always wanted to work with um, you know charities that were providing clean drinking water to people in need. So I had this mission of making the world a better place. So with that in my heart, I couldn't very well work at the factory that had any type of, you know, environmental pollutants or any type of um, issues. And, you know, you read these articles and you hear these scare stories about how, um, you know, big corporations don't always know end-to-end manufacturing and what happens there. So I personally needed to spend a lot of time thinking about um, not only the quality of the product, but the quality of the manufacturing environment. Um, but I was lucky enough that I had some friends from, from school and um, I, I took a lot of people out to lunch and coffees and said, you know, can I just pick your brain? And, you know, I, I found people that, you know, had relatives in manufacturing and, um, you know, realized that there's a lot of really good, rich information on the web. And um, But nothing beats just going over there. And so I think the first time I went, I visited uh, five or six different factories. And I wound up picking the one that had the highest quality but also the highest cost. Um, we're still working with that same factory today. We've added three more, but it was certainly the most challenging piece of, of the whole puzzle when I was starting out.
1: And you know you're 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 there, and you get comfortable. And there's like still a leap between getting comfortable and like actually making that first order of three thousand water bottles. And when, when you when you made that order, were you just kind of like holding your I breath? I was so and, nervous. Yeah.
2: I was so nervous. It's one thing to see the proto sample. It's a completely different thing when the the bottles came. And of course, they sent me, you know, a picture of all the cartons after they had been made. And I. I thought I had worked out just how much space, 3,000, and I thought, oh my God, this, and it was already on the boat, it was on the way, and they'd sent me a picture and said, here it is, it's on the way, and I thought, oh, this is not gonna fit my apartment. Um, but I was also really nervous and, and kind of excited when I opened the box the first time. Of course, you know, I lived in a doorman building in New York, and I had to like sneak everything upstairs, because you're not supposed to be running a business out of your apartment. But um, But yeah, it was it was very it was very nerve wracking to get that first order delivered.
1: Did you have any pre sales at all, or was it like okay, I got three thousand here and let's hit the pavement?
2: No, I had some pre sales. So I I launched a Facebook page, and of course, you know, it's mostly like friends and family that. Uh, that started to do the orders. I I think I took the orders about two or three months before the products actually arrived. Um, And then I I started doing... I did all the PR myself. So I started writing to different magazines and different blogs. And, you know, I remember being very excited the first time someone made a purchase that I didn't recognize their name. Um, And I had a little box, you know, how'd you hear about us? And they'd write the name of the blog. And then I'd write to the blogger and say, thank you so much. I sold one bottle based upon... You know, you have to start somewhere. Um, But, yeah, I I did have... um, I did have, I think, about 400 bottles I had pre-sold before uh, before they arrived.
1: And so, yeah, I mean, you're talking about this, like, you know, building this up one one to one, you know, it's kind of sales, even. Um, you know, how did you know, like, how quickly to sell to 3,000? How, how did you know that that swell would swell?
2: That's a good question. I I don't think I, I always had the confidence in my heart that it was possible. Um, uh, you know, I think we had sold through about half of the first order when I then um, had to order more, and it's kind of an interesting story. So I. Um I sent a bottle to Oprah's magazine to the editor, and I, you know, put it in a box. Said, you know, editor, Oprah, Chicago, Illinois. put it in a box and sent it on the way. And you know, I put my breast kit in the box, and I got a call from the editor and said, "Hey, I just got back from a family vacation in Peru. I took this thing, loved it. It really works, and I like your story. I'd love to put it in the magazine. Send me one of every color you have." My God! And I only had them in blue. They only <laughs> they only came in blue. That's all I had. And so I explained that to her. I said, "They only come in blue." And she said, "Well, that's." that's great. When you have colors someday call us back because you really need colors to look great in a magazine. So at that point I had to make the decision am I going to buy the, the minimums for 3,000? Am I going to buy 3,000 each of six new colors and at that point I'm going to have to set up a warehouse and at that point I'm going to have to really get my stuff together. So um, it, I think that was sort of the, the crystallizing moment of okay somebody but you know, somebody in the universe is potentially giving me a sign that there's there's some love for this product out there so I, I did order more. But I mean is so, that a,
1: is that a no-brainer when Oprah calls you just <clears throat> you just you make those bottles, right? Well,
2: I I did make them, but I what there was no um I guess there was no guarantee that they were actually going to make it in, right. into the magazine, but um, a few months later we did make oh, it in. And was so. it was it
1: one of Oprah's favorite things by getting that? Wrong? Oh, it
2: was one of her. Um, it was on the O List, which is okay, her must-have oh, list. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Her, so it was must must-have list uh, for summer 2011.
1: So, so what does that do? I mean, you know, you you were aware that it was going to make the list. They told you in advance. They did. They
2: called me and then let me know it was going to make it, so I could you know get ready. Um, we did they give I, you any
1: expectation for like for what no. to expect? Like okay.
2: No. No expectation at all um, it was it was exciting you know the website sales definitely we, there is an Oprah effect. absolutely the website sales um, were were robust and um, the few stores we were in at the time were quite pleased but really more than anything it was um, a couple things my mom was very proud this, I think she was more proud Important. of Oprah than, you know, than business school. For me, I mean, this was a big deal. Um, but but <clears throat> more importantly, I think it was a stamp of confidence and credibility that I could then go to other stores and say, look, we were featured in this magazine as something you must have for summer. Right. Um, and it wasn't just you know, Sarah saying Swell was great, but it was you know, this authority on all things saying Swell was great. So it really did help um, m- more on the future distribution than on current sales.
1: And, I mean, I think it's like the market just telling you something. Right? The market saying, like, I mean, the market is saying we want this in many different colors, mm-hmm. and, and we really we need this. I think that's like the the best way to, to just to follow the market. That's mm-hmm. amazing. What um, when was the first time that you saw someone, just a random stranger, carrying your bottle, and what was your reaction?
2: Oh, I mean, I just got so excited. It, how, how far into the,
1: how far into your uh, production um, was it?
2: That's a good question. It was probably in the second year. I had a a really funny week, actually. I saw three swells out in the wild in the same week. One in, the first and one in Central Park, then I saw one on the subway, and then I saw one, someone filling up in an airport. And I have to say, it just, it bent my mind. It just, I, I didn't even know the people. You know, I just, I got, of course, I had to talk to them. Did you I, had to, I had to say something, like, <laughs> oh, hey, I like your water bottle. And um, the guy on the subway, he had a green bottle. And he said, oh, yeah, and, you know, it gives back to charity. And, and you know, I, it just, it was neat to hear what these customers bought the product for and what they thought of. And, of course, I had to tell them it was my company. Right. Um, but, yeah, I remember that, that week being really... Um, Memorable. That's interesting because yeah. you
1: remember that as like, you know, they give back, and it's like this this individual who's, he's not just like, oh yeah, it's a water bottle I picked up off the shelf. Like, he clearly understood the brand, right. which is amazing. Right. Um, so, I mean, what, what was the, was there, you know, like the, the bottles range, I think it was on the side, like about 20 bucks to about 130 bucks right now?
2: Um, um, well, they're more like $25 to $45, but we have done some special, you know, special bottles. Like we did a couple of years ago for World Water Day, we did, a, I think, a $100 bottle that gave water for life, but all the money went back to charity. Um, but typically, they're, you know, $35 is the most common price point. So I mean, what,
1: what made you think that the market could, could handle that? Like, did you do a whole bunch of surveys and stuff like that? It was just like, uh... I'm, I'm I'm putting a finger in the air so that no one can see like this is my price point. I feel good about
2: this. No, I felt pretty good about the price point. I mean, the the bottles are quite expensive to manufacture because there's really two bottles. There's one on the outside that you see and one on the inside that you don't see it's sort of double walled stainless. So the when you pick up the bottle, it weighs a pound. it's it's a substantial piece of hardware. Um, and I wanted customers to really think um, about the product differently um, and to realize it's a luxury product and in really, um, I wanted to be able to make sure that the margins were there to really support the the nonprofit piece that we work with too. So there was some math and specialness that went into coming up at the price point, but I have to say it was sort of more of a gut feeling. You know, looking at what other bottles were on in the market and just sort of wanting to be on the luxury side of that. So
1: I'm. I'm not, I guess I'm not a not a luxury water bottle shopper. Yeah. I. Uh, but uh, but I am always. I always try and support the people who are on the show. So I'm gonna go yeah. and buy one. But like, were you the? Are you? Were you the only one then? I mean, are there others that have? There, I think there are others that have sprung up since. Well, there's then. I there's know.
2: other great water bottles, and I have to say, if I'd much rather have any. A customer buy any reusable water bottle than be using the the plastic disposable bottle, so I'm not I'm not as precious about that. But you know, I have to say Swell was really the first um, fashion forward. We you know we say it's a fashionable hydration accessory, but you know, Swell was really the first bottle that um, we we think about ourselves as a fashion accessory we come out with new collections twice a year just like a fashion brand so we do spring summer fall holiday we um we do a lot of designer collaborations we work with fashion designers Uh, we look at trends we look at what you know what's going on in in fashion and so we really think about ourselves differently where other water bottles um they might just come out with you know five or ten colors and for a hundred years those are the those are the colors that they're going to make but we really think about ourselves a little bit differently
1: I want to tell you about Kevin Gowan Sr., who, realizing that accounts receivable financing was a growing industry, saw that it was just missing a few com- key components. Kevin founded Amerifactors Financial Group, LLC, in 1990 with a focus on professionalism, expert customer service, and a drive to take, to take the success of your business personally. They've been in business for 20 years and have funded over $5 billion, billion uh, to businesses. With, America fa- with, with Amerifactors, You can stop waiting 30, 60, or 90 days to get paid on invoices. You can turn your invoices into immediate working capital through factoring. Factoring isn't a loan, and there's nothing to pay back. You can use the funds to make payroll, hire new staff, buy equipment, or go after new customers. Amerifactors may be a financial service provider, but there's so much more than that. They're your business partner. Go to www.amerifactors.com or call 1-800-844-FUND. That's 1-800-844-FUND. The $600 application fee will be waived if you mention the Smart People Should Build Things podcast when you call.
2: This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast.
1: It's really hard to like argue with the trajectory you've had. You know, I keep sort of shaking my head about this about the five thousand to sorry three three thousand to five million um, bottles. Like, I, I, you know, can you look back and say, hey, I like there's something I just should have done differently?
2: Yeah, um, yeah definitely. I mean, I have to say, there's so many things I could have done better. Um, you know, I, I wish I had hired a team sooner. Um, we have such a strong committed passionate team here in New York City, and now we've got a few employees um, overseas. We have got someone in London, some in Hong Kong, some in China. Um, I see how much um, easier my life is and how much more successful the company is because we have a team, and I I wish I hadn't been so stubborn thinking I should do everything myself in those early days.
1: We're talking to Sarah Kaus, who's who's a a bootstrapping entrepreneur, and she's already talked a little bit about how... um, well, I think she just did. She just said that she's she's uh, she maybe uh, was was very cost conscious at the beginning and could have let it go, but I think that's true of all entrepreneurs, uh, all bootstrappers at least, and I think you know one of the ways to keep costs down is to do your website yourself. Sarah, did you do your website yourself, your first one?
2: Actually, I hired someone to do the first website, and then the second website I did myself, and now the second third you one, okay. we have a really great internal team that did the site.
1: So, Interesting. Yeah. So if you want to do it yourself, um, maybe consider doing it with, with Wix.com, and no matter what business, you're in, you can get your site live today. It's simple to customize. Don't know how to code? No problem. There's no coding needed. Most entrepreneurs will tell you that developing good web presence is essential to get your business off the ground and acquiring new customers. If you have a new idea or just need to upgrade your website, check out Wix.com. You can go to Wix.com and sign up for an entirely free account today. No credit card required. Go to Wix.com today. Okay. So, we were talking about um, about the kind of you know, mistakes and 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 setbacks and this like amazing growth trajectory. Um, you wrote about how you. I think I think I'm not sure if this was this was in the past or now. I mean, you said you kind of offloaded some of your um, some of your responsibilities to others, but uh, um, you wrote about how you had no work life balance, uh, which I think is true of a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, but you know, is, is there clearly it's a successful business? I mean, is there any temptation at this point to say, well, you know, I could to sell this thing and I could, you know, get all of my all of my life balance back at this point.
2: You know, I I've been lucky lots of investors have come knocking and they're interested and we've got some people that are really passionate about the brand. Um, but you know we don't we don't need the capital at this point and there's still so much that I really want to do at Swell that I, I can't imagine doing anything other than what I'm doing now. I and mean, of course I'd love to do a little less of it, maybe start taking some more weekends off and, you know, maybe not as many hours in the office. But um, but I, I love what I do and I, I just can't imagine not not being in the middle of it. I mean the first few years were so incredibly difficult and you know things are still you know challenging right now. You know managing the growth and making sure the culture stays the same as we grow, and you know making sure that um, the team feels supported and we have an, the right product at the right place. There's a, lots of challenges every day, but there's so much more fun to deal with than the early days of just not really knowing if things were going to work out. So, um, so yes, I mean I'm every so often you know get some interesting letters and calls, but I. At this point, I can't imagine doing anything other than what I'm doing right now.
1: But your work life still still tilts way towards work. Way towards work.
2: I have issues. (laughs) (laughs) I took last weekend off, and it was really nice. And we do a standing team meeting every Monday, and I told everybody um, at the team meeting that everyone's to take weekends off. It's really amazing. (laughs) Changed my life. Um, No, it's it is really I think important to have some balance and. um,
1: did you, did you actually take the weekend off or I were you like did. in the park checking your emails? No, and...
2: I, I actually went back to the, the fancy spa in Arizona where I originally wrote the first business plan for Swell mm-hmm. uh, with my mom. So it sort of went back to Swell's birthplace uh, this weekend. Um, and it was neat because maybe uh, half the people at the spa were using Swell bottles and they sell them there in the gift shop now. So even though I didn't work, I did talk to a lot of people about the product while I was there.
1: I'm, I, this is one of my one of my uh, questions that I always love asking, which is because like, I'm still I still check our revenue probably I don't know every hour or something like that I, I can't help it whenever I have a second I'm like oh how, how do we have any sales today? Mm-hmm. Are you a compulsive revenue checker? Are you able to to just kind of like how much do you report every day of sales or is it every week that you look? How do you, you know I out?
2: actually I'm still leading up the sales team, um, so I run a sales meeting once a week on Tuesday so I do take a look at the numbers on Tuesdays um, but I do confess I have an app on my phone that tracks com revenue but I really look at that more just to make sure you know things are going well and you know we get a lot of press and PR so I'm always interested to see what leads to conversions so I'm not obsessive about it but I probably do look at the you know Google Analytics app once a day or something just to see where things are going, but it's probably more like once a week. I just want to check out where we are.
1: Once a week? I, th- I think that's actually hugely restrained and impressive.
2: <laughs> There's too many other things to look at every minute. So.
1: <laughs> um, that's that's the Jeremy question. The, my, my favorite Andrew Yang question, the founder of VFA, he always talks about how people, um, people shape businesses, but businesses also shape people and their personalities. And Can you talk about how you know how how swell has 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 changed you as a person, hmm. and everyone a, always goes. Mm, that's a good question. That's a so. really
2: good question. You know, I think swell has really changed me in in, in a positive way. Um, you know, I think it, it's the first time I'm I'm really I'm leading a team. You know, it's it's the first time that I'm I'm responsible for you know. For 45 people when they come to work every day, and I need to make sure that they're feeling supported in their career and that they're working in a culture that um, that they feel positive about and that they're excited about the product and what's going on. So I think it's made me really conscious of, um, you know, being a leader and how my, my thoughts and my actions and my words in the office sort of reflect upon how everybody feels about their careers. Um, I spend a lot of time thinking about um, the team and how people can grow with us as we grow. And it's it's hard to always make the time to do that because I have – I'm still wearing a lot of hats. I'm still working in the business, not necessarily on the business. I'm trying to get better about that. Um, but I really do try to meet with as many people as much as I can um, to really think about being – a leader. I mean I've always been more of a doer in all of my past careers. I've never been this leader of the company, but I I know like even, you know, being on a podcast like this or make you know winning an award or going to it means a lot to the team even though I personally would be much happier just sitting at my desk doing emails than like going doing (laughs) these things i'm I'm incredibly uncomfortable doing those things but i know that it means something to the team because they feel like they're part of something else so i really have to think about you know myself as a leader and i think swell has really pushed me in ways that i never thought i would be comfortable
1: you you talked about about culture i'm curious how how you Mm -hmm. created a culture how a culture was created i think some of Culture just creates itself, mm-hmm. um, but what's the culture at Swell, and how are you how are you fostering it?
2: You know, I, I really wanted to create a happy place. You know, I've I've worked in many different types of environments, and not to say they weren't um, happy, but I wanted to create a place that people would feel excited and energized about coming to work every day. And I think I think you're right. I mean, I think the culture does sort of um, create itself in a way. And I think you know, working in a startup that's growing really fast and it's getting lots of attention. I think that really helps create a, a positive place to work. Um, because we also have grown really fast, it's given people within the company the opportunity to wear many hats or to work on different projects. And a lot of people that have come to work at Swell have come from bigger companies that maybe they were very siloed in their career and maybe they wouldn't get to work on you know, many different things. And I think that that really does contribute to happiness at work and um, You know, I I try to be supportive of making sure that, you know, someone might know, yes, you're in the design team or you're in sales or you're in production. But if there are things that are going on within the company, like, you know, picking the new colors for the new collection or, um, you know, giving us insight into the types of collaborations we should do or, you know, there are certain types of meetings that regardless of who you are in the company, you can still get involved in. Um, and then I, I do a lot, I really try to do a lot to keep things like fun in the office. Like We do a happy hour every week, we built out a pretty cool roof deck that people can have lunch outside. Um, we do a team building event like once a quarter. Um, we have a pretty fun like fitness competition, so we do the bottles for Equinox, a sports club. So we mm-hmm. buy everybody a fitness membership at Equinox, and a lot of people go to you know spin class after work together. And people well work really hard, but I wanted to create a place that they felt that could be a little bit fun too.
1: So we talked yeah. we talked a, a moment ago about you taking your, your foot off the gas potentially, and you said no way. Um, there's just too much to work on. So so yeah. you know I mean I don't want any, anything too proprietary, but yeah. what's left? I mean what's what what does the future hold?
2: Oh, great question. So we actually just launched a new line of bottles um, called Sip by Swell and they came out April 1st at Target. So Target put us in 1,800 stores on an end cap wow. um, and they were nice enough to buy the product before they had seen it. But they were so excited about Swell and we told them about Sip. Um, and so Sip by Swell is sort of a, a pretty hip little bottle for the mass market. It's um it's twenty four ninety nine, so it's a, a easier price point, and has really playful and fun colors, and it's more style and fashion. Um, and then after the six month exclusive with Target, we're going to start rolling that out to the mass market, and we think that SIP has the potential to be just as big as well. Um, but then in addition to SIP, we actually just last month kicked off a five year innovation roadmap of new products. So we're hearing from our customers that they love swell and now they love SIP and they want to know what else we have. So we're working on a whole bunch of different ideas. Some are really close in and, you know in the beverage space, you know, for you know, coffee, tea, you know, wide mouth, ice cubes. And then there's some that are really far out and they're they're more sort of technology types of situations. But um, but it's fun because we did grow pretty slowly and pretty carefully. I think we are lucky that we have a brand that now customers are looking towards to bring other products.
1: And last question to tell us about the charitable component of it because I mean you you're you're that is part of the part of the brand I mean you, you said that, the, yeah. that you know that individual the first individual you talked to in an airport brought it up yeah so tell us what the impact you're having there
2: yeah so actually I went to my five-year union for business school and I went to a presentation about um, climate change and they talked about how climate change was only going to make the water crisis in the world worse so places of drought were only going to have a harder time getting access to water so I, w- I became obsessed with this idea and I just read as much as I could um, and so ever since the beginning of Swell, we've always partnered with water charities. So we work with the U.S. Fund for UNICEF, and um, we support their tap project here in North America. And um, we make a, a contribution to them, and they're they're kind enough to, you know, let us get involved in some other activities. So instead of having a happy hour on World Water Day, we had um, a happy hour where we actually all put down our phones, um, and for every minute you put your phone down, a bigger donation would be made to UNICEF. But we really try to bring it into the DNA of what we do at Swell, but we also educate our customers about what... You know the good work that UNICEF does around water, um, and then we work with all different types of charities throughout the year. Um, a fun one is we work with American Forests. So we have a bottle that looks like wood, but it's actually double-walled stainless steel. But it looks so much like wood that we decided to partner with a, a tree charity. And every bottle we sell, American Forests plants a tree. And last year they planted for swell over five hundred thousand trees because wow. that's how many wood bottles we sold, which was a bit shocking. Um, they uh, they it's really fun because we get to pick where the trees go so um 20,000 of them went in my hometown where i went to girl scout camp and there was a fire um but we've also uh planted trees in um in mexico where the monarch butterflies do their um their um migration uh, migration thank you whatever that word is um we also did um some elk restoration habitats in minnesota Um, which is really fun and then uh, every so often like uh, maybe four or five times during the year we'll do a charity and really concentrate on it for a course of a month so in october we work with the breast cancer research foundation Um, in november we do no shave movember for for men's cancers and we put a mustache on a bottle and it always sells out (laughs) people love a mustache (laughs) uh, men and women alike so um so we really try to use the power of the brand and you um, share messages with our consumers about um, you know nonprofits that we think that they want to care about they should care about
1: Wow that's what a great story I mean yes. I, it's just amazing I'm so glad that you didn't get a job at JP Morgan uh, yeah, me too. Uh, yeah it's amazing <laughs> um, what a, thanks so much you want to you want to throw out all the all the all the brand info like all this the, the site the Instagram the Twitter the whatever all sure. the
2: so if you want to find out more about swell it's just uh, www.swellbottle.com If you want to check us out on, you know, Instagram or anywhere else, it's just at Swell
1: Thanks so much for being here. This was awesome.
2: Thanks. It's been fun.